Welcome to A Little Marketing with Nikki and Mark and Phil, a podcast where marketers discuss marketing and the small moves that make a big difference. A Little Marketing is a collaboration between Blue Whale Communications in Kelowna and 1020 Marketing in Montreal. Have a question or topic suggestion? Email Nikki at Nikki at BlueWhaleCommunications.ca. Look for A Little Marketing on YouTube and coming soon to your favorite podcasting platforms. Subscribe, like, and share. Hi, Mark. Hey, Nikki. Welcome back to another week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Have a long weekend coming up here. So, yeah. I, uh, I think we both have milestones we're celebrating. As far as I can tell on social, mm-hmm. you're just starting your sixth year at uh, Blue Whale. Mm-hmm. And 1020 has also just started its sixth year. Oh, I didn't realize mm-hmm. that we were aligned so closely like that. Yeah, my uh, my fiscal year begins February 1st. Mm-hmm. And we're just starting our sixth year of uh, of 1020. Yeah, mine's January 13th. So Oh, there you go. So we're right right there together. Very close. Very oh, cool. We'll be able to celebrate for years to come. Yeah. Joint parties. <laughs> yeah. So last week's discussion was fun. It was really great. Yeah. yeah. So um I was gonna say informative, but more so eye-opening, which is the same thing as informative, but she had a lot of really great insights about marketing tactics in general and how to apply them to video specifically. Yeah, agreed. And and I what I find interesting is that when we have somebody who is more niche-driven in terms of their focus, their process is no different than any other niche's process. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to t- hear them talk about it because often I feel like they think that they're doing this uniquely for their but I mean, it's really just applying the basics to what their, you know, what their area of expertise is. A hundred percent. And I think the biggest point there is that marketing all starts with a strategy and a goal, and then everything trickles down from there, regardless of your tactic and the tools and the platforms, it all starts with the same questions. hundred percent, hundred percent. And no better guest then uh, today's guest who taught me all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we have Harold Simpkins on. Harold was my professor at university many moons ago. Uh, what a great, great man. Honestly, he's probably has inspired, I would think, hundreds of people through the years to get into marketing and to you know launch their careers. I know that's what he did for me. Uh, when I started at Concordia, you know, I I, I didn't get that sort of that fuse lit underneath me until I was in Harold's class. He was my advertising teacher. Harold is an ad man dating back, uh, I believe if you ask him, he'll say McCann uh, back in the uh, late 70s, 80s kind of era. And uh, when I was in university in the mid 90s, honestly, it was it was him who I really credit with wanting to become an advertising person. So really looking forward to having this conversation. And if I don't have a chance to say it during the discussion, I want to say it now. Harold, thank you for everything. Well, that's an amazing point to bring him in on. Yeah. There he is. There he is. Here we are. Harold. Hello. <laughs> Nikki. Hi. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you, and thanks for having me here. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for agreeing, and on such short notice too. We really appreciate it. 
Uh, when we make up our guest list, I've had you on the list for a very long time, but I wanted to feel a lot more credible before I had my old professor on. Well, I'm honored that you had me on the list. That's amazing. Um, Nikki, you want to fire, uh, kick it off? Yeah, I was just going to say, Mark just gave a glowing review, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what you're doing now at Concordia? I think maybe the way to put my background in context is um, luck has been on my side through most of my career. Uh, and it's been totally contrary to what I teach. Um, maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, but in 2003 with a colleague, we came up with the idea of teaching students the principles of marketing by showing them how to apply it to themselves in their careers. And the course was called Marketing Yourself. I remember um, telling me about this, yeah. And it's the only course, you know, where we get so many students, even now the course, was canceled in 2017, sending messages on LinkedIn or even through email saying, that course changed my life. And it was a lot more than just cover letter writing and resume preparation and interview skills. It really was about doing a self-analysis. We had psychological tests on the, on the, on the course. It was an online course. Um, and um, so drilling down deeply in, into yourself, but also um, what the market out there is like, talking to people who are in the field that you might be interested in working and, and getting their input and, and uh, talking to them about you know, what an average week is like and all that stuff. Um, and, and it really did lay out in almost a logical format, you know, how to progress from being a university student to actually working. So with that as context, I absolutely did none of that. Um, oh, uh, and there is an argument, by the way, for not having a career plan and just, just going out there and, and seeing what happens to you. So uh, I finished university uh, in 1967 with the idea of working in industrial relations. I got a job in industrial relations and um, at the ripe old age of 20, by the way, uh, no CJEP back then and my birthday is in October. So I started university early. It took me two or three weeks to realize I hated the field. <laughs> I, like I really hated it and uh, with a passion so I, I quit and now I'm out of a job and I don't have any money and the windshield wipers aren't working on my car and it's this time of year and there's slush and snow and whatever and doing dangerous things driving around going to job interviews um, but fortuitously one of my classmates has started a headhunting company and said why don't you come up and see me and we'll see what we can do for you and so he handed me the form to, to fill out and um, it was, what area would you like to work in? It was on the forum. So I said, geez, I don't want to put industrial relations, maybe human relations, human resources. Maybe that's human resources. You know, it's a lot less confrontational and a little quicker moving than industrial relations. And then I said, and what's your second choice? And I had no second choice. <laughs> I had no second choice. My choice was to get a job that paid money. Um, and so I put down advertising. And by the way, that's how a lot of people get into the advertising business. <laughs> career second choice. Um, got an interview with a consumer package goods company and had no idea what the marketing manager was saying. He was talking about product management and positioning and all of this stuff. And my degree is in psychology, by the way. Uh, and I was shocked the day afterward you know, when I got the job. So this was the um, Rickett and Coleman company. It's an old British company. And they make things like French's mustard um, in one of their products. 
then I stayed there for a couple of years, moved to um, a company called Best Foods, got to work on some major brands. Best Foods, that was part of Unilever, but they had brands like uh, Helen's Mayonnaise. I helped launch Skippy Peanut Butter in Canada. Then after a couple of years there, I moved into the advertising agency business. Um, and at the time, the exact moment I switched from working on the client side to the agency side, I started my MBA um, part-time because think back when I graduated, I'm at the leading edge of the baby boom. There was a shortage of university graduates. And so as long as you had a degree, you kind of got vacuumed up, you know, by companies. And um, I progressed pretty well in my two previous jobs, but I was being put into positions where I didn't know what the heck I was talking about often. You know, discounted cash flow, presenting to executives at uh, Best Foods had office in New York City to justify Skippy Peanut Butter's launch of the Canada and, and going down for the answer $5 million. <laughs> And what I did, by the way, is I memorized the speech because it was all about the net present value and discounted cash flow and internal rate of return. And I had no idea what they were. And so I memorized my speech and I prayed. I prayed they didn't ask me any questions. And thankfully, there was a, uh, a podium in, in the boardroom and my knees were knocking as I'm presenting to these senior executives. Anyway, they didn't ask any questions and it went through. But it was then I kind of vowed. You know, I, I better learn about business if I'm going to stay in business. So I did that. I did my MBA part-time. Um, Harold, let me just interrupt you for a second. I, yeah. I, you are taking me back, man. I, I am right now a kid in your class again, listening to these stories. And <laughs> just in the mystique of it all, I love it. I, <laughs> and, and and also just want to say one thing. You, you started this conversation by talking about the, the course that you did. Yeah, um, marketing yourself, right? And yeah. that you got tons of messages from from your former students, yeah. you know, or current students, whatever, during that period of time where you taught that course, saying the course changed their life. Well, yes. I, I'm going to say something to you, and you can react however you want, right? The course probably had a very big impact, but you changed the course of my life before that course was ever a thought in your head. And it wasn't because of necessarily the classes I was in. It was because of you, like purely you watching you tell these stories, pacing up and down the aisle in the in the auditorium classes we were in, you know, the way you dressed, the way you comported yourself and the experience that you had, the real world, like this yeah. is what I wanted to do. That's I looked at you and I saw what I wanted, honestly. Cool. <laughs> And it kind of worked in. I mean, I remember when you went, you went to Sheridan, right? No, I was at Humber doing Humber, copywriting. That's right. And, and yeah, doing the copywriting that's right. yeah. program. Yeah. Anyways, continue, please. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. I'm humbled. Um, it's the truth. I And and it's, it's I've been consistent with that story for almost 30 years. I think I graduated in, in, the, in the spring of 95. Okay. So it's yeah. almost 30 years. And I've, it is almost, it's hard I've, to I've said that to people for all that time. When I bump into students who are 54 years old, it makes me feel like ancient. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I stuck with McLaren. I, I started hating it, by the way, uh, because I became vice president and I was managing people who manage people who do the work. And, Which agency were you work. at? Hmm? It was McCann, wasn't it? Weren't you at McCann? McLaren. McLaren, right. Which was okay. Canada's largest agency at the time. And Mark, you'll like this being a sports fan. Jack McLaren was one of the people who came up with the idea of Hockey Night in Canada. And that's how McLaren was founded. 
or and it was their idea to broadcast hockey games with start off Maple Leaf hockey games and then take some of the sponsors that were McLaren clients, one of which was Imperial Royal, that still was a sponsor up until and, and Molson, which right. was a McLaren client. Yeah. So um, that was when in the in the late early fifties. Late twenty twenties. Hockey night in Canada. Is that and radio was was becoming the thing. Right. And then that founded McLaren and mm. McLaren became what it became. That explains Foster Hewitt, yeah. Yes. So uh Again, very fortuitously, I started off talking about luck playing a role in my career. Um, just after I finished my MBA, one of my professors asked me to teach the advertising course uh, at Concordia uh, with two weeks to prep. And uh, I told this him- is, This is what, what year are we in here now? 1980. 80, okay. 80. And I said, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it as much as I'd like to help. And we published a case together. We, we, we're close. He said, Harold, you, you, you got to do this. I said, understand, I've got all these pressures of working in the agency. Oh, he said, Harold, it's nothing. He said, you can do it over your lunch hour. The class time is 11.45 to 2.30. <laughs> so eventually I agreed. And I thought I would get some kind of training. And um, nope. the training was to hand you a textbook and the course outline. And between us, I guess it's not going to be between us once this thing goes to air. Uh, I did no preparation. <laughs> and so I would go into the class where you, were you use the word war stories, Mark. I mean, I have so many really good ones, right? Yeah. Um, and, and like the class was just incredible. The energy and, and the laughs and the participation, right? Um, now, a couple of weeks after a course ends, you get what's called a, a course evaluation, which is anonymous, which students fill in. Uh, and there's all kinds of boxes they can check, but they can also put their comments in the evaluation. So you get this envelope, right? And the envelope finally arrives. They say, oh, I can't wait to read this. <laughs> and they get all this wonderful feedback. I would say it was the most devastating day of my life. Wow. The comments were... <laughs> Well, a couple of students, and I think I knew who they were because they were high performers. Oh, you know, the prof never referred to the textbook because I hadn't read it, right? Uh, <laughs> and that was good because we can do that ourselves. But most of the students were saying, I had no idea how what he was saying fit into the course outline. He never did refer to the book, which I expected. Worst professor ever. <laughs> War stories are funny, but I didn't go to the class just to laugh. So I figured that was the end of my teaching career. And... Um, Two things happened after that. One, my relationship with McLaren ended, and I think in part because they were looking to me to become the general manager of Montreal office, hmm. which I absolutely didn't want. I, and the last thing I wanted, with all due respect, Mark, is, is to manage creative people. Oh, I get it. Oh, they're really difficult to manage. I I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there was a parting of the ways, and uh, I figured my Concordia career is over. And then they offered me a second course. And just to continue on the theme of telling war stories. So this one, this next course, right? I said, I'm going to nail it this time. <laughs> I will not tell war stories. I will follow the textbook almost paragraph by paragraph. The most boring class, I'm sure, ever, because the students were falling asleep in the class. There was no participation. Then finally, that evaluation envelope arrives. I'm thinking this is going to be good because the class was the exact opposite of the one that 
I performed in really badly. Well, these reviews were even worse. Like, why do I have to come to class if all a professor's going to do is cite textbook material? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so then I think, oh, it's over. And they hired me again. And uh, not only did they hire me again, but it was on a, a, a nine-month contract. So now it's going to become like a full-time job for nine months. And um, over time, I learned how to get the balance of real world versus textbook. Sure. And uh, it kept renewing those contracts. Then that morphed into kind of a full-time contract position, like 12 months mm -hmm. uh, on one-year renewable contracts. And then it morphed, I think it was 1995, Mark, uh, <laughs> into like becoming a, a full-time, almost tenured professor. So um, while I've been working at Concordia, or while I was working at Concordia back then, I was doing a lot of consulting work. Uh, but also, coincidentally, in 1995, I was asked to start the marketing co-op program, um, which I did. And Concordia is the only English university in Montreal with a co-op program. And our program is kind of unique in Canada in that it's kind of selective, like Waterloo and Sherbrooke, which are big co-op universities, are 100% co-op. Students have to apply to our program, so they have to show a certain level of motivation to want to become in the program. So I've been doing that. And um, what was the marketing program, the first co-op program in marketing at Concordia or yeah. just no, was it, was one of the, it was the fourth program in JMSB, uh, fourth co-op program in JMSB. I think it was about the 15th co-op program at Concordia. I think we have 40 co-op programs now. In Concordia. Right. So in the co-op program, students study for three semesters, then they alternate full-time work, academics work academics work academics so they, 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 i've hired out of that program you did it eh? yeah when i was working at a startup here in montreal we used to have students come uh well i mean it, it was difficult for a for an employer just because the uh the turnover you know the if, if you got a kid for one term yeah. you know the training and all that time yeah. and all that sort of thing so we used to try to get people who um who would commit for eight months or so, so that we yes. didn't have to go through that every semester. Yes. But, you know, we we had some really good people coming out of that program. They, they, they tend to be highly motivated. And, you know, as they get to their third work term, like by that point, they've got, uh, you know, close to 40 weeks of work experience. So, right. so they know, you know, they know how to, how to operate in, in, in the business environment and, and have a certain level of maturity. And many of our co-op students now are hired by their co-op employers. And of course, now having been running the program for, long, for so long, I have so many co-op students hiring co-op students. <laughs> uh, I, I believe I believe in the in the in the practice of it, just in general. Like when when I went to Humber, which was a postgraduate certificate program in copywriting, uh, after I graduated from Concordia, it was a it was a twelve month program, and the last two or three months were co-op. And it was unpaid and we went to work at an agency and so many of us got hired to the agency where we were assigned. And it was, you know, so I always felt that hiring kids out of that program was a way of giving back and, you know, paying it forward a little bit. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's that aspect of it. The, uh, I mean, the other one is many of our co-op students are asked to work part-time after their internships. Right. So they'll do their 17-week internship. The employer will ask them to stay part-time, often as a means of keeping them in the corporate loop 
so that when they graduate, they can go to work with that employer. Right, right. That so uh, that program, we started with six students. I think we're up to about 150 now in the co-op program. So I, I find that really, really gratifying. And, and during so, their internships, they have to write a report as to what they learned on the internship, how they developed personally and professionally. And just reading those reports is so worth it's so gratifying. I used to go to their presentations at Concordia. The oh. Kids, oh, we used to hire kids out of the finance program because a lot of the work that okay. we did was spreadsheets and analysis and that yeah. kind of stuff. But uh, I used to, they used to invite their boss to their presentation sure at did. the school. Sure so I, I went a handful of times for that. But, but Harold, let's, I don't know, Nikki, do you want to chip in? Uh, chirp in no, I was going to say, I, um, I went to school on the East Coast. And I went to Mount St. Vincent for a second degree, actually. One of my professors from St. Thomas was encouraging me to get my master's at that time. Um, and a couple of the other girls in the program did. And I was pretty adamant that I'd get a bachelor, another bachelor's, because the bachelor program included a co-op, uh, okay. co-op term. And so that's what I did. And I got that real world experience. Um, and that's how I ended up in Ottawa on my last co-op term. And like, I credit the co-op program for really changing, I think my career trajectory, like you don't get into yeah. like the kind of roles that I was able to get into right out of school without something like that. Yeah, and, you know, and it helps students identify what they like and what they don't like. Mm -hmm, totally. So, you know, going back to my initial jobs, you know, if there hadn't been a co-op program, I would have found it very clear, very quickly what I liked and probably been able to direct myself into, into what I did like. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a high, one of the highlights, many highlights of, of what I like to do. Is, mm -hmm. so, Howard, let's go down this path a little bit and talk about, you know, over the years, being a professor at Concordia, you know, being amongst, you know, 20 to 20, you know, 19 to 23, yeah. 24 year old kids or coming in into the marketing program. And, you know, you're just, your personal experience on, you know, what was it like back in the 80s, 90s versus today in terms of motivating a kid and 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 recognize what, like, what are some of the traits that you recognize in a student that would indicate to you, oh, this kid would be the right kind of person to pursue this path? If they're in the co-op program, that's a good start. That's a good start. Yeah. Um, Relev? The competitions that I coach and you get you, you get kind of know them intimately because you're working so closely with them and you know they're, they're showing vulnerabilities in the coaching sessions which you know I've got to intervene in whether it's a confidence thing or, or the way they think about strategy for example um, so you learn how they handle that um, so um, I think one of the biggest things and that in part led to the starting of the marketing yourself course was even today, students get into the marketing field and they're either extremely unclear as to what they want to do when they graduate, or they have a clear idea, but their clear idea is totally off base. Of what marketing is or what they want to do? Well, a lot will want to work, let's say, in consulting or work in, in, in advertising, in agents, a communications agency. Right. And when you bring up with them, the ones I talk to, who, like a lot will come, even the really motivated ones who, let's say, uh, were co-op students, you know, would drop by my office and, and it would start like this. 
And so you have a background in the advertising business. Do you have any contacts? Like, in, <laughs> I have a lot of contacts. Um, okay, so like what aspect of like marketing or marketing communications would you like to work in? Um, um, oh, advertising. Really? Okay. It, on the client side or the agency side? Um, um, and like they, they, they were guessing, right? So I think on the agency side, and I would, I would describe the agency side, what the work was like and the pressures were like. Um, just as simply the, the high turnover, can you deal with that? With people just coming and going and sometimes being fired because not that they did poorly because the agency lost the client, but you know, the client was 20% of their business, 20% of the staff go almost immediately. Yeah. Um, the last minute pressures, the dealing with difficult clients, um, the dealing with extraordinarily tight, the, the pressures of extraordinarily tight um, deadlines. deadlines. It, and I'd say to them, you know, like, like, talk to people who work in that field and, and see if what they tell you is something that aligns with you think, aligns with what you think you'd like to do. Um, then often I would top it off with, by the way, you know, if you work for an agency, you're going to earn 20, 25% less than your fellow students who might go into product management or sales or whatever. Sometimes that, that was the killer. That, that's when they would say, no, I don't want to work in that industry. Right. But it was developing some an awareness and an understanding of what was out there and how it related to, to what they studied. And, and that relationship, of course, sometimes is very tenuous. And that's why I used a lot of war stories, if you want to call them that, in my classes, real life stories, but also why I incorporated uh, live cases. And ultimately, that's all I used in my classes, which was you've got these projects that were always assigned in, in let's say, the marketing communications class, but rather than making up a project or then make or then conceiving of a project, I would find a client with a real problem right. or a real opportunity. That client would come in and give the class the briefing. Well, I would have, let's say, an up to five of those clients so that you, you, I learned very quickly that you don't have 12 groups of students working on the same client because the presentations, by presentation eight, it's a little boring, especially <laughs> in the situation analysis and research stage, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I would bring it up to four real life clients with real life problems. And then the students would get to present their projects in three phases, you know, the initial uh, research phase, the strategic right. phase, then the execution phase. I think I remember doing that in your class, actually. I think you're right. I think I did a, a project that, like, a, a, our brief was on the TD Bank. We did some TD Bank uh, okay. analysis and creative. I think it was in your class. Okay. I actually remember coming as a graduate to your class with acetate. Right. Did. Yes, I remember at, that. Yeah, at Loyola and uh, presenting, like, you know what's good advertising what's not good advertising yes. yeah i remember that that's um the, the the other thing that i tried to develop uh with them and, it, and it's kind of difficult and i can do a much more thorough job of that with the competitions is understanding in the creative realm what's the difference between strategy and execution mm -hmm. because they all understand execution and they often excuse excuse me when working on projects very quickly jump to the execution stage without thinking of the strategy that they should be basing their executions on. But teasing out the differences, teasing out strategy from execution is a challenge. But um, you know what happens often is 
students would be frustrated in my classes because they're not, I don't let them just jump to the fun stuff, the creative stuff, without going through the strategic stuff. And sometimes that's reflected in my student evaluations. But I get messages on LinkedIn um, <laughs> particularly uh, from former students who would say, who do say, I should say, you know, I left that class and I really wasn't sure. And boy, did he provide he provided a lot of criticism in the class and I took it negatively. But after mm -hmm. being in the workforce for five years, I understand what he meant. So it's only after working and reflecting back on that that I've come to appreciate it. I'm sure Nikki has something to say about it. We talk about this all the time. And when we onboard clients, you know, clients themselves, they, they don't always understand this either. They want to jump into oh. the, you know, they want to be present. They don't, they don't care how they get there. But we always have to pull them back and say, no, 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 let it, let's think this through. You know, what are what what is it that we're trying to achieve? What is it that yeah. we want to do? Who are we talking to? All those basics. And I, and I can tell you also, Harold, that as a creative working in agencies, and I worked at agencies in Toronto, in yes. Montreal, in Ottawa, um, coming out of a business background from an education standpoint. I was always I was always the guy that the other creatives kind of didn't love working with sometimes because I got, you know, caught up in the, you know, yeah, sure, I wanted a good book and I wanted my portfolio to be good, but my primary objective was always, okay, what's right for the client and what's the right message? And sometimes I'd be paired up, you know, copywriter and an art director would work together. And I'd be paired up with people or on a, you know, on a, you know, especially on a pitch when there's a group sort of, of multiple teams working together, I'd be the guy who was always raising his hand. Yeah, but what are we actually saying with this? Like, sure, you can have a nice book, but what's the needle you're trying to move? So I was that guy and I had arguments with my colleagues all the time because I was that guy. And that's your fault. <laughs> yeah, you were acting like an account guy. Right, I was. I, I was who yeah. who was able to put a headline together. That's exactly right. And I even mean, nothing, like, no, go ahead. Nothing is more energizing than when, for me anyway, when I would work with a creative person who would really appreciate strategy. Right. And when they saw a good strategy, it really turned them on. So rather than seeing the strategies, a lot of creative people do as being something that's limiting. You see it as an opportunity, right? I mean, part of strategy is deciding what not to do. Uh, and, and you know, oftentimes they talk about strategy and execution and marketing communications. This is like, you know, figure skating in a telephone booth. Exactly. But, but it is. You are in the telephone booth and you are expected to figure skate. That's right. That's the yeah. challenge of it. And that's yeah. what you should... I don't know. That's what always gave me the rush was having a good brief. And yeah, I know Nikki's smirking. I was just going to say, that's the fun part. Like yeah. figuring out how to do that. Yeah. I think. That's right. Like, yeah. Anyways, I, I remember having arguments all the time with this one French copywriter I worked with at my last full-time stop. And I, I try, I try, I was, I was more senior than him at the time. And I tried to explain to him why I thought this stuff was important. And I tried to use like commonalities, right? Like, yeah. so we, we got into an argument at the time. This was like um, 
early 2000s, I guess, like 2005, 2006. And we started talking about hockey. We talk about hockey all the time. And I made a statement that uh, if you score three goals in any particular game, your team should actually win that game, given what was happening in the NHL at the time. And he went off on me. Like he totally went off on me. And I went home and like, like a total AH, I, uh, I went through box scores and I created an Excel spreadsheet and I did the math. And it turned out like 78% of the time, somebody, a team scored three goals, they won. And I knew, I knew I was going to set them off, but I brought it to him and I showed him and he went off, like he went off like a rocket. And when he came back to me and he calmed down, I said to him, Sylvain, this is the thing. When I, you know, you can go on emotion and you can go on your intuition, but there is information and data that we need to work from that actually paints the truth and the picture, right? And that's all I'm saying. That's all. Take it. So I don't think he ever listened to me or cared for me, but he is a creative director uh, in Montreal today at at a decently sized, big, well-known agency. So hats off to him. But I must tell you, that um, with the relives, we get big name Quebec clients. Oh yeah, you know Desjardins, Bombardier, National Bank, um, Metro, and and you know the briefings and the presentations and the meetings between the briefing and the presentation are attended by the client and you know their senior marketing people and their senior agency people are in these meetings. And I must say that the level of comprehension and appreciation of strategy and execution or the differences between strategy and execution, it's not there. That that most confuse execution with strategy. You know, in in my way of looking at things, like the, the whole objective is to come up with a big idea. Mm-hmm. Not the easiest thing in the world, but you know, it's, uh, some uh, advertisers have said in the past that if, if you're not going to present me with a big idea, don't bother presenting to me. Because mm. if it's not a big idea, I'm not going to it. But in my way of looking at it, the big idea is the combination of the insight into your target market and your strategy. Right. Right. Yeah. From time to time, the big idea is the execution, but usually it starts with the, with the strategy and the insight. I totally and, agree. And, and and it's really, they focus on execution and I don't think they really understand the subtleties of strategy, which by the way, in hindsight now, I used to get very frustrated feeling that in classes, I never really got the message across as to uh, what strategy is versus execution. Hmm. Now I realize it's not that easy to understand and appreciate. Well, I, I was just, just going to say that to you. I don't, I don't think that's an easy thing to teach no. without, you know, having that fire, uh, you know, breathing against your neck kind of situation and understanding that. But Harold, I I really hate to do this, but we're we're going really long. And I would love, and we haven't even touched on things like, you know, social media and the impact that that's had on your, on the mindset of the students coming in and teaching and all that sort of thing. Um, But I'd love to give you a chance to, you know, you know, 30 seconds, you know, what's the best piece of advice you can give to a student today? Uh, even if you're repeating yourself, please go ahead. Well, I, I would say be open-minded, particularly if you're working in the field of, or, or studying in the field of marketing. Um, 
for those who aren't co-op students who are you know getting to try things out is if you have a goal of working in marketing speak or marketing communications speak to people who are working in those fields mm. by the way yeah. the older yeah. those people are that you speak to the more willing they, they're going to be to talk to you because it's the big notion of giving back right yeah. as you get older um <laughs> most will not feel that it's an imposition uh if you ask to speak with them and, and don't fake it fake asking to talk to them as a means of trying to get a job interview just go in with the intent of, of getting some in-depth flavor of what the what, what what the industry is all about and then come to an assessment as to whether it's it, it's for you and if not well what other areas might interest you i think that's great advice and i know that if anybody had ever asked would ever ask i'm totally open to meeting for a coffee having a zoom whatever it is and uh, anytime I've ever spoken, I used to uh, go into Bonnie Fagenbaum's class and speak there. I spoke at uh, a class in a finance, my neighbor's a finance teacher. I went in, I'm always willing, because I remember being a student. I, it is a long time ago, but I do remember being a student and having industry professionals and veterans kind of take me under their wing and and just, you know, I always was so appreciative of that. And I, I would I would love it. I would love that. You're going to be hearing from me, Mark. <laughs> no problem. Anytime, Harold. Anytime. I owe you. I owe you. You might not think it, but I feel it. So take advantage. I will. All right. Well, thanks. And and uh, maybe we'll revisit uh, and have a part two, Harold. Sounds good. All right. Thanks so much for taking the time. Great speaking with both of you. I, I appreciate that you uh, you invited me to do so. I'll I'll reach out and make good on my promise for lunch. I'll take you up on that. <laughs> All right. I'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was fun walking down memory lane with you. Honestly, honestly, I felt like I was back in his class. Like, mm -hmm. and and I've seen Harold like over the years. We 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 meet. I've been to his class. Uh, we we go for lunch, uh, and it's always it's always great. It's always great, you know. And and uh, he always has like just these great stories, and he's always interested in knowing where his students are today and he's been doing it since 1980 so fuck it's amazing it's i i love that guy i honestly love him yeah there's a couple of things that he said that made me made me laugh when he was talking about his work experience and that was being put in situations where he was speaking to things that he wasn't had no idea what he was talking about and i think we've Imposter all yeah. we've all been well yeah we've all been there right you're sort of just 100%. Talk, talking and hoping that what you're saying makes sense and then the other part was um going into the classroom having not read not read the no. book and just sort of winging it but yeah well I used to talk to him a lot when we would meet up I would I would actually I used to want to teach I looked at him and said I want to be like that like a, an industry guy who's coming in and teaching and and he he tried to get me some paths in and it never really worked out and uh, but I always saw myself doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, you know, I don't have regrets about never having that chance. I, I know people who do it. Um, but if that had been me, I probably would have been the same. I probably would have walked into that class sweating bullets because, you know, lack of preparation <laughs> and all that <laughs> sort of thing. So if you're listening, don't follow my lead, you know, do the opposite. Just like George Costanza would uh would advise okay. yeah yeah but yeah. honestly uh what fun uh, uh anyway i can go on but i'm not so what's up next uh 
Nikki? Next week, we're talking to Haley Robinson. She's a realtor in Ottawa. So we're going to talk to her about branding and marketing for real estate agents in particular. But as we've discovered, a lot of this applies to all niches. So Awesome. Great. Great. Such fun. I I hope that wasn't too... Uh, <laughs> too insular for you. <laughs> like you, I hope you didn't feel too much like a bystander there. No, I was. I guess that there was a few things that he was saying that I was, you know, relating to, and I think it's a lot of common threads for a lot of us in the industry. So, hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. totally. All right. Well, I think that might have been our longest one yet, but uh, <laughs> I, I hope uh, I hope a lot of his students see it because. I think a lot of people feel the same way that I do about about him, uh, Harold. So anyways, awesome. thanks for everything, Nikki. Have yourself a good rest of the week and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. You too, Mark. Okay, ciao. Okay, bye. Bye.